Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings. Here we are again, Nonprofit Exchange. We got another really good session today. Uh, Russell, we're going to focus on the unique issues around church leadership. You and I know some about that, being inside this uh, the space of the church and working with them. So how you doing, Russell David Dennis? I am in the middle of all sorts of new things. We are rolling into a new vision at my church. And so uh, there are all sorts of things, uh, everything from A to Z, from change to conflict. And uh, in the church environment, that's a big unique. So I'm looking forward to hear some, hearing some of Jim's insights on this. Sure. Yeah, he's, um, he's got a lot of good things for us. He and I have had a chance to chat, and he comes highly recommended uh, from my wife. who, who uh, His brains are the operation. The brains, <laughs> that's right. She's a chairman of Jim's fan club. So without um, us getting too far afield, uh, Jim Chandler, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you very much. Good to be with you today. We like to ask our guests to talk a little bit about themselves. It's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, it, it's a lot more interesting than me reading a bio that's kind of flat. So tell us a little bit about your background. And I know you're ordained clergy and you spent some time in the church and you're doing something different than that now. And um, just a little bit about you and, and how you arrived at what you're doing now and maybe why you've chosen to do what you do now. Okay, yeah. Um, well, I, I grew up in North Carolina, and uh, my family was uh, part of the church. We were there every time the doors were open. When I was a teenager, the people were telling me, you're going to be a pastor, and um, I kept saying no. Um, when I went to college, uh, my plan for my life was to be a lawyer, and uh, went to uh, UNC in Chapel Hill, and uh, double majored in economics and political science, did the pre-law track. Um, matter of fact, when my wife um, agreed to marry me, she thought she was marrying a lawyer. So it was the uh, classic bait and switch. Um, and <clears throat> after college, I was uh, working, managing some businesses and really was saving money to go to law school. And uh, there was just something uh, in my heart that uh, I think I'd been suppressing for a long time and finally said yes to it, uh, went to seminary, uh, was ordained and pastored uh, local churches for about 30 years. Um, had the opportunity to plant a brand new uh, church in the Richmond, Virginia uh, area oh. and um, just really uh, enjoyed being a, a pastor and uh, working with uh, different churches. And um, a couple of years ago, uh, Felt another uh, redirection in my heart and life, and for the past two years, I've been uh, working as a uh, coach and a consultant with pastors and churches and really focusing on um, helping lead into what the church needs to be in the, in the 21st century. And so I, I work with uh, establishing some brand new churches and also uh, do some work with uh, pastors and uh, churches that have been around for a couple hundred years. So it's a good variety of work. Wow. Wow. So what makes Jim Chandler unique? You said 
words that a lot of people use, uh, coach and consultant. What's different about what you do? Yeah, the reason I really felt drawn to this was, uh, you know, there, uh, there's a lot of coaching, there's a lot of consulting out there, and there's a lot that's being offered to uh, churches. And one of the things that I saw a lot of was uh, what I call the template uh, approach. And matter of fact, you know, there are things that you can get, you can buy a package online, download it, uh, change out the church's name, put your name in. And, um, you know, I won't say that, you know, doesn't work for some people, but I know it doesn't work for uh, a lot of people. And one of the things that I believe to my core is that uh, every pastor is unique, every church, every community is unique. And uh, I love, rather than taking, you know, some template and trying to uh, put it over uh, what they have, uh, really working to find out um, what's, what's unique, what's the call uh, to be present in this community. So looking back on uh, not being a lawyer, <laughs> being a pastor and taking the ministry track, any regrets? No, none at all. And a matter of fact, for years, I kind of had this back and forth with God because I was wondering why uh, those years were wasted studying like economics when you know, I went to become a pastor. And um, rather than thinking those were wasted, I think uh, they have been critical to uh, the work I did as a pastor and the work that uh, I do now. And uh, I love leadership. I love, um, you know, reading about and studying uh, leadership. And the more when I was pastoring that I read and studied leadership in uh, the non-church world, in the business world, the parallels for you know, what we were dealing with in the, in the church were just so obvious. And I think um, sometimes church people are resistant to uh, some of those leadership principles that, you know, they're for business, they're for, um, they're for people who are not a part of the, the church, but they're the principles that really do transfer. And leadership is leadership. And Bishop Rollman was at my, my leadership symposium recently in, in Lynchburg, and he got up and said, nothing happens without leadership. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he was um, bishop in North Alabama for two to Quadrinia, and um, he's back at Duke teaching clergy, and he's focusing on leadership because he said it's the biggest deficit he sees in the church. Yeah. Um, and you and I talked before, and there's several things I'd like to unpack here, but uh, the Methodist Church, I don't know what the current number is, but our former bishop visited our local church a few years ago and threw out the statistic that uh, the United Methodist Church was losing 1,200 members a week at that point. And, you know, it's still going down in numbers. And I just shared with you that I attended a national conference and the numbers were very low and it was focusing on church, church growth. And uh, so the, the, and people there said it was a downward trend that people were not coming to that particular conference. Um, and so underneath that, you and I had explored what's underneath that. And, I, I, and from where I sit, where Center Vision Leadership Foundation is called is to help people empower them empower themselves to be better leaders. Where do you think, uh, what do you think the, the core deficit is in leadership? And are, are you of a different opinion than me that we're losing members, the heart of it is lack of leadership? Now, I, I agree with you. And 
um, what uh, Bishop Willeman is doing now in teaching leadership is so needed because um, a lot of seminaries, maybe even most uh, seminaries, you can go through and get you know your Master of Divinity to uh, be ordained and to pastor churches, and leadership isn't taught. And you know, so much of seminary training, you know, it's important. Uh, you learn uh, biblical languages, you learn to uh, preach and teach, but then the, the leadership skills that are necessary, because the, the church is um, one of the most leadership-intensive uh, organizations uh, around. Um, you know, in most churches, there's uh, not enough uh, paid staff to do all the things that need to be done, and you to live into the mission of the church, you're dependent upon people using the gifts and talents uh, that they have to serve without any uh, you know financial uh, remuneration. And uh, a lot of seminary training teaches you to do, not to lead. And uh, I think that's one of the struggles uh, that uh, churches uh, face uh, where you know, the uh, pastors, the uh, professional clergy, or I call them, you know, sometimes I say we're the professional Christians, and you know, we're trying to do everything rather than use the skills of um, you know, effective delegation and, and really empowering other people and the church to lead. Generically, Russ and I find that, that um, the burnout rate with nonprofit leaders, um, I think the Meyer Foundation did a study, said it was at 45%. I would imagine that if you go to clergy only, it's higher than that. Yeah, I, I can't quote the exact uh, percentage, but I have uh, been reading some things lately that just talks about the the dropout uh, rate uh, among clergy that's high and and, and it's getting uh, higher. Some of the stats I've seen uh, and re- repeatedly um, is that one out of 10 pastors make it to retirement, mm. which is alarming. Yeah. Alarming. Now you chose a different path. I chose a different path. Uh, I'm in my third career and I, I timed out after 40 years in the church, which I think I did what I could do in 40 years. Now I'm working as an external president, sort of similar to you, but I'm, uh, I'm more generic nonprofit. So um, church league, I'm going back to a soundbite that you gave us. The church is the most leadership intensive place to work. My goodness, unpack that a little bit. What are what are what are um, some of the specific challenges? I think you have four um, that we had talked about before. What are some specific challenges that church leaders face? We're talking about clergy, but it's more than clergy, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think, um, and you and I had this conversation a, a few weeks ago that. Um, I don't know that any of these challenges are unique to church leaders or to clergy, but they're specific you know, to them. Um, you know, another challenge that along the leadership lines is um, this uh, thing of trust and the erosion of trust in um, clergy and and in the the church. You know, they're just here in the last. A uh, couple of months, you know, there have been a, a couple of big things that uh, have uh, happened. One of the largest um, uh, Protestant evangelical churches, one of the mega churches, you know, it's gone through a tremendous 
uh, crisis uh, because of allegations of sexual misconduct by the lead pastor led to his early retirement. And now because of the church's mishandling of that, um, the whole uh, governing body, you know, has stepped down. Uh, everybody reads about that. Uh, you know, just hit the news last week with, um, you know, another uh, scandal with a priest in the Catholic church and where being a clergy leader, there was a time where you were the most respected person in the community. And now when you see a list of uh, how professionals are viewed, you know, know, maybe I didn't become a lawyer because I wanted to be really respected, (laughs) but um, you know, you, you see, you know, used car salespeople and, clergy, you know, near the, the bottom of the list. And one of the challenges around that is uh, systems of accountability. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's a struggle uh, within the church to have that uh, positive uh, accountability. At one end of the spectrum, you've got uh, no brakes and you know, driving a car without brakes is fun for a while until you come on a curve, then it's a disaster. And then at the other end, uh, it's more like a parking brake. And if you've ever tried to drive your car when the parking brake's engaged, it's really hard to make forward progress. But to have a leadership structure where uh, the accountability that we all need is there and so that there can be uh, trust in that, but also allows the, uh, the forward movement. That brake thing reminds me of trying to drive in Mexico. You know, why use your brakes when you have a horn? or italy for that matter um so this this um you're talking about and and it's all over the news so it's bill hybels you're talking about in in that church and then the pope came out just recently denouncing the the sexual impropriety there's a there's a leadership paradigm that we hardly ever look at and that's the power differential that that psychologists talk about and russell our our colleague uh, david gruder and I've taught this together at, at business growth conferences. Um, we, um, the, the pastor is in a unique position, and there is a specific power differential. When you read the research, like what you're referring to, that 40% of pastors admit to sexual impropriety, to having an affair. That's admitting to it. And so it's, it is a high-stress, high-risk job. And, and then unaware of how, and oh yeah, it's, it was consensual. Well, no way, you're in a power mm-hmm. position. Right. And even, even subtle ways, when pastors are leading worship, they tell people everything to do, like they're, they're talking about a program rather than leading worship. And then they'll say things that are power words, like you may sit down. Um, so we, we reinforce it in subtle ways and actually make it worse. So talk about, us in a position of influence as leaders. Now we're talking about leadership in the church specifically, but many of these themes, all of these themes are good leadership is good leadership anywhere, but we're focusing on some of the issues specifically with the church. And was it fair to say the mainline church is what we're mainly looking at today? So that's where you, you, you right, were, right. Where I have most of my experience. Yeah. And, I think, um, again, back to uh, accountability and um, you know, having some healthy practices in uh, our, our lives. Um, you know, somebody 
you know, it's been said a lot uh, that, you know, leadership is lonely. It's lonely at the top. And, and it can be, I think, if we make it uh, that way. Uh, I don't think it, uh, it has to be. Um, you know, one of the struggles for uh, pastors is, you know, taking time for themselves, being uh, healthy, um, making sure that they are not allowing themselves uh, to be stretched uh, so thin that they're susceptible to things that they otherwise you know, would not be. And uh, one of the, the things that was um, so key for me, and I still have it in my life, is uh, some people who not only have uh, the inv- invitation, but uh, I give them the expectation that they're going to just speak truth uh, into my life. And, you know, sometimes tell me things that on the, you know, in the moment I may not want to hear, but I need to hear. And you know, just recognizing that uh, all of us need some healthy accountability. Otherwise, we'll go places that we wouldn't ordinarily go. I'm, I'm rereading some of Napoleon Hill's writings. Do you know that name? Yes, I do. Yes. Um, and he's talking about the 500 leaders that he, he, um, he interviewed. And Thomas Edison had very little education, but he surrounded himself with very knowledgeable people. Mm. And so it was this, this mastermind concept. And Andrew Carnegie is the one that really turned him on to the to mastermind principle. But we don't really, as, as leaders, we get in this lonely space as in a nonprofit executive director or pastor. And we really don't have this, this peer group around us. Part of it's accountability, part of it's nurture. And in the church, we preach the Sabbath, but we, don't, we rarely take it ourselves. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I read in the Washington Post oh, a year or so ago that the uh, mainline denominations have 23 Easter's left at their current <laughs> trajectory of losing members. Huh. And so looking at some of the, um, um, how much, how much is the work has church changed and how much does it need to change to remain vital or how much does the Methodist church have to go down? It's, 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 lost a lot of members how does it what's the right size for the domination so so what needs to change in the church because it's not on a good trajectory right now yeah um i think uh, one of the things is uh how we deal with nostalgia um you know there's still a lot of people around in uh, the church who were there when the biggest problem was how do we build buildings fast enough uh, to uh, have space uh, for everybody. And, you know, there are pictures on the walls of uh, the rooms being overflowing. And uh, I don't think we need to forget that past. Um, you know, it's, it needs to be celebrated. Um, we need to learn what we can from the past, but there is a point at which nostalgia gets expensive um, because it uh, costs us focusing on, um, you know, what the future can hold. And it's going to look different. Um, one of the things I really love about the work I do now is working with some new churches, and the model is very, very different than what it was 21 years ago when I planted uh, a church. But, um, you know, recognizing that there's still so much uh, – good that needs to be done. And the church has a role, a great, great role to play in that. But uh, nostalgia isn't going to help us get there because it's not going to look the way that it 
it did in the 1950s, 1960s. Russell, what do you think of that? Nostalgia. You've been around churches, I guess, big part of your life, haven't you? I have, and you know, I'm in a in a community that's different than than any others that I've been in. But there are a couple of things that I wanted to comment to uh, with respect to leadership for pastors, because the key role for a pastor is to be the spiritual leader of that community, and like other nonprofits, to to flourish and to operate smoothly, you need some business systems in place. That's an awful lot to heap on the one person because both may not be in their wheelhouse. And so in order to avoid isolating themselves, having people that are truth tellers that Jim spoke to, uh, he's got truth tellers in his congregation. Every, every one of us needs those people in our lives. And uh, so that's really critical, you know. And I don't think that in large part, a lot of leaders, not just in churches, but in other organizations, aren't really taught how to deal with conflict. Yeah. So conflict in the church is a completely different animal because not only do you have to look at some of the standard paradigms for conflict, but for a pastor, dealing with conflict uh, has to involve use of scriptures and other principles that other parts of society aren't holding themselves to necessarily. So that's really critical. And going forward, I mean, the church has to ask itself, well, what are we here to do and, and what does that look like? Uh, I can speak to our church. We're looking at uh, expanding our role in the community. And the church was there to be a beacon in the community. And I think that there's been a a loss of sight of the fact that the church is supposed to be a beacon for the community with so many other things going on. So it's going to look very different. And uh, like anybody else, uh, any other organization, a nonprofit or business or church, we've got to look at what's our role? Are we fulfilling that role? What needs to change? And so there's a whole different dynamic. But like everybody else, we have to appeal to people we're trying to attract. So what's the message that's going to resonate? So whether we like it or not, we're in sales and marketing to some degree. Uh, what it is that we're selling, you know, is different. And selling is, to me, is just service and solving problems. So that's, that's kind of the role. That's a part of, a big part of the ministry is solving problems wherever they are. So, yeah, so, I'm sorry. Well, go ahead. And, and Russell, I just want to follow up on what you were talking about with, uh, you know, the leadership systems. And I think that is so uh, critical. Um, one of the, uh, the big uh, challenges that, you know, churches is, uh, are facing now is uh, alignment. Um, you know, their, their structure, aligning the, the structure with the, the mission. Uh, churches that I work with where we look at their structure, um, I uh, break it down into two categories. There's uh, church work, and that's the stuff that keeps the organization going. And, you know, it needs to be done, needs to be done really well. But that's things, you know, the administration, the finances, the, uh, you know, property management, uh, HR, things like that. But that's not why the church ex exists. Um, you know, it's the, the mission and ministry why the uh, church exists. And that's not church work. That's the work of the church. And 
what I do with the churches is we look at how much time and energy they're putting into the church work side of it. Uh, because a lot of times there's a structure that's uh, you know, been around for decades and it's done nothing but grow, you know, as structures uh, tend to do, you just add different uh, layers of uh, bureaucracy. And, you know, it's, um, it's really eye-opening when a church sees how much time and energy, and we look not just at how many meetings do you have, but how many people are in that, what's the person hours, what's the opportunity cost of that. And um, it's encouraging to see churches that are really trying to bring efficiencies to that church work side of it uh, so that there is more time and energy freed up uh, to really live into why the church exists. That's, that's a lot of really good stuff of what you just said. I'm, 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 I'm processing it. Um, you, in the, in the narrative, when you respond to some of these, you show a real depth of wisdom. You've been around, you've seen things, and now you're seeing it from the outside. And part of what I was thinking about when you were talking, um, when what you were saying, it was, it was we were talking about our, our, somewhere in their mission. And we get sideways in the church. We think the Great Commission is our mission. And, and I, I believe as a strategist, Great Commission is a mandate. It's mm-hmm. a biblical mandate. It's not a choice. A mission is a choice. It's what we do after we make disciples. And so we want to make disciples. Now what? It's like the dog chasing the car. When they catch the car, what do they do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so speak to having, uh, having a profound vision. And Bishop Wills, when I worked with a cabinet when he was bishop in Middle Tennessee, he told me, I don't see anywhere in the Bible that God gave a vision to a committee. And so it's the, du- the leader's duty and delight to say, here's my vision. But I, I think as we run the vision down, what I've seen over and over, we run the vision down, it comes back up from the masses and the leaders emerge. Then we articulate how we're going to do that, which is the mission. So we're making disciples. What are we called to do? So speak to that, that strategy and, and structure. And I don't know if that's a context that you are consulting and coaching. How do, we, how do we rally behind what God's called us to do as this particular body? Yeah, I, I love what you just said, because you know, when you look at a lot of uh, mission statements for local churches, uh, they're the same. Um, and oftentimes, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's really because it, it's easy to take that biblical mandate that you, that you said and just say, well, that's it, and not do the hard work of really looking at this community in which we are located. Uh, who is here? Uh, what are uh, the needs here? What are we gifted and equipped uh, to do? And uh, where I love seeing some of the things I'm seeing now is where uh, churches really have articulated the clear vision and then are doing the work of making sure that they are aligning what they do with fulfilling that. Um, and it, it's hard, uh, particularly in an existing church where you've got dozens of uh, committees and things like that maybe have been around for a long time. And there's still some people who, you know, there's a few people who really love those things and don't want to let go of them. But, you know, to look at um, in 2018, what are we called uh, to do? 
who in this uh, community are we uh, positioned to to reach? And then what do we need to put in place structurally? Uh, what do we need to do to organize ourselves in order to to live into that? And I do believe it is it's unique for every uh, community. It's like we're all different people. We all have different personalities and different talents. And so the communities are all uniquely different. Sure. And, and so that's, that's really important. We have a, a comment from a, 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 somebody watching, Karen. Thank you, Karen. I believe the drop in mainline churches is because it is a time of enlightenment and people are waking up to their spiritual connection with source God. Dogmatic religion where you are told how you must believe or you will go to hell just does not resonate anymore, which is why new thought centers are growing and accepting all and help you find your truth and don't claim to be the end all authority over you. Mm. It encourages you to find your truth and purpose. The seekers are seeking and just don't re resonate with religion anymore. I find more and more people who identify themselves as spiritual, but not religious, which is kind of a shame. Our, our religion has gotten away of our Christianity is what mm -hmm. I'm taking out of that. You, you want to respond to that? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's some truth there that, um, you know, in the, the modernist age, you know, it was the institution that uh, was looked to and the institution spoke and people said, okay. And you know, we're, that's not our, our culture now. Um, and actually, I think uh, that's a good thing because it gives people the invitation and, and the, the opportunity to really uh, dig and explore uh, for them themselves. Uh, part of the, the issue with the church uh, is still trying to live in that modernist uh, age and function in that when mm -hmm. the culture isn't, isn't there anymore. Um, but, um, you know, I, I don't, I do not at all believe the, uh, the church is irrelevant. Um, I, I believe that, uh, you know, there's great, great relevance. We just need to, to live into that. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the model of how we do church, this is back to how, you know, it's going to, to look different. Um, and uh, in a lot of settings, the uh, church with you know one person who stands at the front and you know, is the uh, dispenser of all um, is not going to resonate with a lot of the people in in our culture. It's going to be much more uh, of a shared journey, participatory, and and in the end, I think that's a a good thing. So going back to earlier, we're talking about what's working, what's not working. Contrast those for us. What's working? I mean, you, you, you travel to a lot of different places, I, I guess. You, you travel there. You've seen a lot. But typically, what do you see is working really well with leadership in the church and what's not working? You talked about yeah. this, this memory of the past and living there, but uh, what else? Yeah. Um, I'm a little reticent to say this thing and this thing, because our tendency is to say, oh, yeah, we need to do that. Um, I, uh, overall, the thing that I see that's working 
is a willingness to experiment. And, Mm. um, you know, everybody knows that uh, the the church in our culture, you know, is changing, you know, has changed, is changing. And some, uh, you know, bury their heads in the sand. Some get freaked out about that. Uh, Others, though, uh, really take a much more innovative stance and let's try some things. And um, knowing that uh, some will work the way we think they will, some won't. Uh, but this uh, this willingness to uh, experiment, um, and it's that um, that trait that I think is, is working now. I I see people experimenting with different things in their communities, and you know they're uh, engaging with people that they were not uh, in the traditional model of, of church. But uh, again, this isn't just okay they're doing a pub theology so everybody should do a pub theology meet in the the bar um and have conversation and and i don't think it's programmatic i I think it's more a mindset of being willing to innovate and experiment that's fascinating that's that's and you and i talked before we started about um father um gregory boyle yes and his work with uh, the the was homeless people. Where is he in Los Angeles? Yes. Yeah. Quite remarkable. He just turns the paradigm around. He didn't try to fix them. He goes and he, he relates to them, learns from them, has conversations, values them. And um, we tend to have our little, uh, and, and Richard Rohr says this, uh, and if you, we have the social club that we, you know, it's a country club mentality in the church. You have to obey these rules and follow their, Karen, Karen said she didn't say the churches weren't irrelevant. I did, I said that. <laughs> I think they're relevant, but they don't resonate. So mm-hmm. we we um we've developed some. We talk about best practices, but we don't use them, uh, <clears throat> or we skew them to what we think they ought to be. Is that part of the nostalgia piece? We're we're not thinking. We're just walking through the motions of what we think it ought to be. Yeah, and and with that nostalgia, if you remember what worked really well. It's easy to just fall into, okay, we need to put more emphasis on that and just try harder to do that same thing that worked, um, you know, a couple of decades ago, rather than really being open to, let's try something new. Uh, let's try something, uh, you know, that, that's different. And to, um, you know, just uh, this uh, cycle of learning that, you know, we, hear about in the business world, you know, with uh, think, try, and learn, um, and just this cycle of innovation, you know, that's what we need in the church, is this, uh, let's just iterate, let's try something, what do we learn from that, okay, now what do we we learn, and uh, you know, one of the big obstacles for the, the church, too, is how we deal with data, um, you know, because data, uh, Numbers aren't the whole story, but you can't know the whole story without the numbers. Oh, wow. And and yeah. there is this um, uh, fear, uh, I think, of, of data because we feel like it's going to be bad. And by some of the traditional metrics, you know, maybe they don't look good. But what can we learn? You know, what what is working? And, you know, then let's try something and, you know, how are we going to measure whether it's effective or not. And it just, there are things that in other 
parts of our culture that, um, you know, are, are done and they're proven best practices. Sometimes we're just reluctant, uh, probably for a myriad of reasons to uh, implement those in the church. It's the seven last words of the church. We've never done it that way before. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when I planted a, a new church, one of the things that was eye-opening was how quickly into, you know, a brand new church. So you're starting with a blank sheet of paper and how quickly you would hear things like that being voiced. You know, well, we've always done it this way. I'm like, that means we've done it once. Yeah. But, yeah. Wow. That's scary, isn't it? Huh. Oh, my word. It's, and, and we don't care. It's like the reporter goes into church and interviews the guy and says, what do you think of apathy and indifference? He says, I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> yeah. so we kind of get in our ivory palaces. And I, we've toured a lot of churches lately and um, just visiting, getting acquainted with them. And um, there's no millennials. There's no millennials. We've just mm. completely. And I, I do think as a large, I've read in some studies that millennials think that the church does more harm than good. Hmm. And, and back to what Karen said about spirituality, we, um, we don't really, aren't really aware of our spiritual being and, and how God's called us and how the Holy Spirit works in communities of faith. And, and so we're called together to do some good. I and mean, sometimes it's the war zone where we're picking on people. So yeah. it's, 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 it, it's really, I keep hearing the theme of let's try something different. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when church calls you and wants to work with you, um, what kind of qualifier do you have to want to work with them? That's, that's a really good question because, um, you know, sometimes, um, you know, it's desperation at the other end. Um, you know, we've exhausted everything. So uh, let's uh, try this. Um, one of the questions uh, that I uh, ask in, you know, the, just the initial kind of, you know, we're vetting one another to see if this is uh, going to be a good match is, uh, um, you know, one is, what is it that you're called to do? And uh, the second uh, question is, uh, what are you unwilling to change in order to uh, pursue that? And just to try to get that, you know, out uh, on the, on the table and, you try to do that without any uh, judgment in that, but let's just, you know, uh, be real. And, you know, sometimes where, um, where I'm not a fit is where a church is just wanting to keep things as they are, but just get more people to come and participate in that. Um, where I really, uh, you know, feel, uh, you know, my passion flowing is when, you know, church, um, they are intent on reaching their community. They just don't know how to do it, but they are, you know, they're not going to sell out what they believe and wouldn't ask them to, to do that uh, anyway, but they're um, willing to change tactics, uh, willing to uh, experiment with different uh, approaches, willing to, to get out of you know, their comfort zone in order to, engage with the people in the community that they feel called um, to reach. And there are churches that are, are doing that. Uh, now a lot of this, you know, uh, make, can make it sound like, Oh gosh, everything is, is horrible in the church. And I don't believe that I wouldn't be uh, doing what I do if 
if I believe that. Um, you know, but it does take a a sense of um, mission and a passion and a willingness to uh, uh, do some new things. Uh, and well, the way I say it is uh, to uh, do things differently and do some different things, and oh. a combination of those two. Russell, I hear some hope in his his words. You know, he's in this because he sees that there's a better future. What are you hearing? Oh, there's a load of it. And I mean, if you're spiritually minded, you don't really have a choice. You, you can't hmm. sit on the sideline and just yeah. watch it grow. And the community that I'm in is, is a new thought community. And, you know, for a lot of years, churches thought of themselves as kind of middlemen for this relationship with spirit. And that's not the case. And people don't need a minute they need guidance and encouragement to see how this way of life can be put to practical use every single day. And that's what it's about. A lot of, a lot of uh, uh, leaders are resistant to doing these things different. I'm sure the gym runs into a lot of, a lot of resistance. And I think a lot of that is fear. Uh, you know, seminary didn't prepare any of these folks for the, all of these extra roles that they have to play and, and some of the problems that are taking place today. But there are a lot of dedicated, spiritually minded people in church. We use uh, Jim Collins' good to great model for yeah. the social sectors to, to build our vision over the last couple of years. And it's worked very well. Every church has some what he calls level five leaders there. And so that pastor is the spearhead of that vision. That's where that initial vision comes from. It's usually pretty big and pretty scary. And the board supports that. And you go in there and you go in and you do the work and you bring in the congregation because the church is a community. And not only is the church a community within the communities that they serve, but churches are relevant in the community. And a lot of churches have, as they shrink, you know, something happens when conditions uh, get difficult. A lot of times as individuals, we shrink back instead of going full out to be who we are. And that happens with the church. You, you kind of lose pace of who you are in character. So it's we are relevant here in this community. And who are the people that we want to talk to? Uh, who do we want to bring in? Uh, uh, and who are our level five leaders? So there are a lot of questions out there to ask and answer. And, you know, to get something that I have never gotten before, I have to do something that I've never done before. Yeah. And so that, therein lies the challenge with churches. And so there are other folks out there. Uh, uh, Karen, Frank mentioned Ken Wilbur, who's done a lot of church leadership books. And uh, there, there are a lot of good things out there. But it's, it's up to people within the church community to be open and willing and, and to support that pastor. With so much being put on that pastor's shoulders, sometimes they feel like they can't delegate it. I can't hand off my responsibility to be the spiritual leader. But I can sure as heck go out and hire a business manager so I'm not fiddling around with day-to-day -day stuff. I'm looking at the larger questions of how to build the community. Mm -hmm. According to this vision I've been given, what kind of process can I create to get out here and get feelers, find my level five leaders, and put this thing on track and grow this thing? 
uh, and really uh, become a, a, a big part of this community. We have to change perceptions that other people have. If we don't set a narrative, people are going to do it for us. Yep. And that's, that's really critical for church leaders to look at today. Who do we want to be in this community? What are we about? And are we making a difference? And this is, this is where it starts. So those are a lot of large questions. It takes a lot of heavy lifting. It takes a lot of conversation. But when you enlist the whole community in it, and you start bringing your board in, and you start bringing your level five leaders in, more hands makes the work lighter. Mm. Well, Russell, I, you've got a really big deal here. Um, and I think this is integral in Jim's work, as I understand. Um, we, um, we've, been, we've had bad models, I guess. And we've been taught leadership is we've got to have all the right answers. And so there's this autocratic model. And, and what Russell and I teach is transformational leadership. And it's the culture of building leaders. And so the, the leader is the inspiration the, the uh, influencer. And so um, we, we have, you know, we, we don't have a flock. We do have a flock, but we don't herd them like sheep, not, <laughs> not in today's world. So the autocratic model is not something that succeeds. And I was just in Fort Lauderdale a week or so ago and remembering Coral Ridge when it was, it was the big TV church. And then the other coast was just in California, um, um, Chris Cathedral. Those are both built around a personality. And then when those people died, both of those ministries crumbled mm-hmm. rather than creating this, this culture of high performing. So Russell, you're, you've just exposed some big deal pieces of leadership fallacies. I've got to have the, all the answers. And we have the scarcity mentality too. We have the scarcity mentality. We can't hire a good accountant. We can't hire a good coach or consultant. We can't, we can't get person that's an expert in this. We've got to figure it out ourselves. So, I've thrown a lot of things at you, Jim, but some of this, these are fallacies of leadership. Do you see that often? Yeah. And what you just talked about, the the scarcity mindset, and you think about it, the one place that you would think that would not exist would be in the church, uh, you know, um, because um, you know, I don't believe God freaks out the, over green pictures of dead presidents, you know, that uh, there's not enough money, but um, that is prevalent in a, a lot of churches, just that, um, you know, we can't, we can't, you know, because we don't have, we don't have, uh, uh, rather than you're looking at what we do have and what we can do. And um, I you know, believe this, uh, again, at my, my core, that uh, if you're called to do something, if God's called you to do something, you have what you need among you to to get it done. It is um, really, um, and, and in the, the scriptures, there's this image, a very powerful image of the body. And that's what the, the church is. And there's different parts with different functions. And it works when, you know, the hand's not trying to be the ear, but is, is being the, the hand uh, fully. And, um, you know, for us to really have this uh, abundance mindset that we have what we we need. Um, it, yeah, it can be a scary time. Todd Bolsinger wrote a book a couple of years ago uh, called Canoeing the Mountains. And he used this story of Lewis and Clark. And uh, it's just so powerful because he talked about their expedition and they believed when they crested these mountains that there was going to be a waterway 
that was going to take them gently to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, they believed it so much they had canoes with them. And then when they crest uh, the mountain, they see the Rocky Mountains. And, you know, they were not at all prepared for it. They weren't equipped. Um, but he uses that story to say when you're in that situation, that's the decision point. Now what? Do we go back? Do we quit? Or we abandon the canoes and you know, we get some people who are going to help us be able to traverse those uh, those mountains. And, you know, that's where um, I, I know the church is. And, you know, it's probably a lot of uh, organizations in our world that are at that same place. Uh, what uh, we thought was going to work or what used to work doesn't work now. Um, but then there's the, the leadership moment of now what? Cool. And, cool. you know, do we just sit down and cry or go back or do we forge on? Absolutely. And I use the model, um, obviously, as a conductor of an orchestra and the conductor. Yeah. And they're all consummate leaders. They're very good. They're very good at what they do. But we don't tell them, we don't hire a good oboe player and tell them how to play the oboe. Hmm. This micromanaging thing doesn't work. Um, and we do have a lot of leaders that think we have to give people the whole, every step of the plan and spoon feed them when really it's not what they want at all. They, they want to be able to use their brain. Now, now Russell's been holding back. He usually has some really thoughtful questions. He has really good observations, but Russell, we're, we're coming to our last 10 minutes here. I want to make sure you get one of your really profound questions in for Jim around uh, whatever topic you've heard or one we haven't started yet. Well, yeah, there's been a lot of good dialogue around what we've uh, covered so far, and it's really important to to look at where we are uh, in every aspect of society, you know. So, and I had a thought that I lost, but uh, what I would like to ask you in, in your conversations with others, because from from my practice, we believe that you're manifesting results. Whether you're taking action or not, you're manifesting results. Inaction can result in people leaving the church. So in, in terms of dealing with churches, have you found that a lot of them are, are working toward having their congregations look at all of the, the practice in uh, their practices in a practical way? applying what they're learning to their daily lives with a positive expectation. Are you running in the communities that are able to do that? And where do you see that um, as being a possible solution, making, making spiritual practice practical on the daily level for folks? Yeah, uh, where I see it working is where, um, you know, pastors do not, as we said a few minutes ago, they, they don't see themselves as, you know, the answer, the answer person. You know, they are, um, you know, giving spiritual leadership to the church. They're casting uh, vision, but they recognize that there are other parts of that body that are necessary to, uh, to uh, carry that out. Um, and it, one of the things that is, uh, um, maybe not unique, but is definitely characteristic characteristic of a, of a lot of pastors is 
and I uh, struggled with this some myself too. We like to be liked, and um, you know, and and sometimes in uh, leadership you don't set out to um, you know offend anybody or anything like that. But uh, leadership, you know, sometimes it gets a, a little bit messy, and this uh, reticence to really uh, lead and challenge. Um, it can come difficult to uh, a lot of pastors. I mean, it, uh, you know, it's hard when you realize, okay, if we do this that we need to do, there are going to be some people who aren't going to carry my picture in their wallet anymore. And, um, but um, yeah, I definitely see where I see churches really growing and becoming effective is where, you know, the, the, the pastor is there as a visionary leader, but, there is ownership of that uh, that vision that will uh, survive uh, beyond uh, them. You know, Hugh cited you know, a couple of examples where um, you know the you know when the leader left or died, it, it crumbled. Jim Collins' work, you know, he talks about that that it's you know it's not the charismatic leader um, that makes those organizations uh, successful for a hundred years because nobody lives that long. You know, the pastors, uh, you know, the, I've got this group of people, I call them truth tellers. And they're the ones that are going to tell us about our superpowers, but they're going to tell us where our kryptonite is, too. Yeah. And and yeah. that's sort of the, the, the pastor has a spiritual mandate to be that truth teller in the lives of people that turn to him or her. Mm-hmm. And so that may not win you any popularity contests. But by teaching people how to live scripturally based lives and to to take their faith and put it in the practical applications, which is what I think my community does, is something that's very useful. People have to see that the work that the church is is doing is still relevant and it matters and it has an impact on their lives. And And I think that that's true. And I, I believe a lot of people have lost sight of that. And so with the with the church that 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 returns to its roots and say, hey, we are here to be spiritual to provide a beacon uh, of of leadership and excellence in our communities for people through spiritual practices. And this is not mythology. This is stuff that has practical applications in the lives of people, and we're here to serve, love, and serve one another, and we can make things better. Yeah. So <clears throat> we started out this interview um, with the, thinking about leadership. And what I see, Jim, is, is that uh, pastors really, not, not only have they not studied it seriously, like they study Greek and Hebrew and some of, the, some of those things they study in seminary, they don't really have a style of leadership in mind. And what I discovered in 40 years of working in middle management as a music director is that transformational leadership is the, co- the core of a culture. And we look at the, the servant leadership, servant, we have to be a servant before we can be a leader, but really that inspires preachers to be passive. When really charismatic leadership is, is autocratic leadership, it's about me. The, the transformational leader is in fact charismatic, but it's about the vision, not about me. Mm-hmm. And it's about us being the cheerleader and the encourager for people. 
And so go back to uh, understanding, I don't know if transformational leadership is something you embrace or not, but we find it is, it's, it's we're the champion for the culture of performing at a higher level. And I first stumbled on this in the church in uh, St. Pete, Art Ross was, was my pastor, and he said, we're the leadership resource for, for the people in the trenches. We don't do it. We resource them and help them do it. So speak to the paradigm of leadership as we're wrapping up here. And what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. And what you're talking about with transformational leadership and it being charismatic about the, the, the vision. I think that's just so uh, key. Um, yeah. The church that I was uh, blessed to, to plant, um, you know, I, I knew I wasn't going to uh, stay there uh, forever. Um, I, I really wasn't worried about leaving that um, because I really did believe that the people who were a part of that were there uh, because, uh, you know, some of them liked me, but, um, you know, they were there because they believed in what we were, what we were doing. And that is, I, I see that in, in a lot of churches where that is, you know, there's an ownership of uh, that uh, vision. It's not just uh, dependent upon, you know, the, the one person who could get hit by a bus. Um, and it, it, I remember um, a time in that uh, church, we just moved into our new uh, building and we were having, um, it was the, uh, we called it something else, but it was the equivalent of a vacation Bible school. Lots of kids from the community were coming. And one of the things that we had as a, uh, uh, core value was that, you know, nobody's turned away. And I was walking down the hallway. Um, I wasn't in the meeting. They were having a planning meeting about this coming up and I just overheard and somebody in the room said, well, we'll have to set a registration limit because we can only have so many people in the building. And I did one of those little turn on my heels and, you know, headed back uh, toward the room. But before I could get there, somebody spoke up and said, no, no, we don't turn anybody away here. What can we do? And they ended up uh, running, you know, four or five of these outdoor tents so that, you know, people uh, could come. And, you know, it was one of those times where I realized, hey, it's not just me. It is this, you know, uh, this vision is held by everybody here. And uh, I think um, that is churches that are growing um, and growing in a healthy way. It is not about the leader. It's about the, the, the vision that the leader is cast. I see that um, Sandy's on the call. She's watching you in hidden. Um, she's the acquisitions editor for nonprofit performance magazine. And um, that's that's a written version of this. So you're going to get an invitation to write for the magazine. Ah. So um, there's lots of good, lots of good specific data here. And before I'm going to give you a chance to leave a closing thought with people. I want to talk about our sponsor, WordSprint. WordSprint helps us stay in touch with our tribe. We use mail mail. They, people have something in their hand. So if you're in a church or a nonprofit and you're not, your donations aren't consistent, Maybe you're not being responsive to people by letting them know what's happened with their money. And if you put some in their hands, they're going to read it. So wordspread.com, go and find out what it's like. You can send emails, but we need to give them some data about what's really happening 
and why should they be excited about our work? Jim, we're rounding out the hour here. What do you want to leave people with? Um, I'd like to leave people with the fact that uh, I'm encouraged. Um, I mean, the, the challenges are real and uh, there are not easy answers uh, to them, but you know, I, I really am encouraged. Um, I, I get to spend a lot of time around uh, some of our young clergy, uh, people who are just uh, coming into this now, and the giftedness and the passion that they bring, and not in an arrogant way, but in a, a very clear way, they're not going to settle for the status quo. Um, and you know, they're not throwing out all of uh, the uh, the uh, tradition. They're actually reclaiming a lot of that and and uh, just really leading well in the future. It makes me feel great about the, the future of the church. But then also uh, I'm working with some people who are, you know, just three or four years from retirement. And rather than coasting or having a calendar where they're marking off days, I mean, they are really committed to um, experimenting, innovating, uh, doing what they uh, can do with the time that they, they have remaining to uh, help uh, uh, people be uh, reached by uh, the uh, the grace and love of God. And it's just encouraging to see people across the age spectrum who are willing to do the hard work, uh, willing to risk uh, failure, um, and willing to uh, try some different things. And it really does uh, encourage me. Being encouraged. That's great. Russell, you heard it here. We got to do something different. So thanks, Russ, for your thoughtful comments. And uh, Jim Chandler, it's it's an honor to know you and know that you're out there in the trenches uh, coaching pastors and church leaders and being their best self and responding to God's call. Thank you for uh, being on the Nonprofit Exchange today. Uh, it was a pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.